morning. Welcome. This is great. You should be here looking out. This is just awesome. I want to just announce why we're here today and what we're doing. We're here today because we are planning a church. That's what we're doing. And in our language, you'll see campus and you'll see church and you'll hear us talk about what we're doing together and how we're one church and how we're a campus. But this is the reality is, is in two Sundays from now, there will be a gathering of believers on 239 North Market Street that was not there today. And they will meet the word of the Lord, to study the word of the Lord, to share the gospel with a new people. They're going to celebrate ordinances together. They're going to weep together and rejoice together. And we're going to do it from a distance. And we're going to do it again. And we're going to do it in places. But that's what we're celebrating today. And so I want to welcome you. I want us just to turn now to the Lord in prayer as we lean forward into what we're doing. Lord Jesus, Lord, we just give praise and honor and glory, Lord, for where you've taken this church. 30 years, Lord, we're so grateful to stand here today. Father, we pray that you bless our efforts. Lord, we pray that you receive this day as a pleasing sacrifice, Lord, that it is be an aroma to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you a moment of irony. A moment of irony I had some years ago. Irony comes when uh, God speaks to you through the mundane. That's how it it comes to us. And I had a moment of irony uh, some years back. I was in Tampa, Florida. And I was flying with my squad, and we were down in Tampa. We were preparing to deploy to Iraq. Uh, And we were night flying at the time, so we were driving in from Tampa around noon, and we were feeling good. The whole van was feeling good. We felt we felt our coolness is how we felt. We all had our big black aviator glasses on, our big watches, and we had all had fun. That's the problem. You might want to turn it way down now. Is that better, Mike? Check two. There you go. Well, there goes the cool feeling. Uh, Well, at the time, I was even going to say to you, it's rare that I feel cool, and that demonstrates it. (laughs) Usually my wife's the one to point at the mic in my pocket. But we, uh, so we're going in, and we're in the van, and I mean, I was thinking, like we went out the night before and had a ball, and it's Tampa in March, and you take off over Clearwater Bay in this big honking fighter. It's the bomb. The whole world knows it's the coolest thing in the world. You know it. They know it. Just, oh, it was the best. You go out. You know, we, did, we were doing a great mission, getting ready to go do a great thing. And we're driving in, and, man, it's hopping. The van's hopping. We're already telling jokes of stuff that hasn't even happened about what's going to happen tonight. All of that's happening. And we come to a stoplight, and I look out, and I see a man standing on the side of the road dressed up like a hot dog. It was Hot Dog Man. You know, when you're uh, like a business and you want to advertise your, your goods, you hire someone to dress like what you're selling and to stand hours on end on the intersection and wave? And there was this man 
not a lot younger than me. I mean, about my age, this man standing on the side of the road, dressed up like a hot dog, waving to us. And there I was. I was feeling so cool. And it was almost like the Lord whispered, like, you could have been hot dog man. <laughs> you know, I mean, and it's like, it's funny. The iron, irony is, is, is humor and melancholy kind of colliding. And it was. It was, I kind of, huh? But at the same time, it was the Lord kind of hugging me and nudging me, saying, like, look, you could have been hot dog man. And I had this thought, right then I had this thought, and, and if you follow these thoughts too far, you can, you can answer them. But if you just follow it, just like it lands on you, it, it moved me. I realized that the jobs that nobody on the planet wants are the ones we pay the least for. And the jobs that everybody wants, we pay the most for. That's felt, for a moment, it felt backwards for me. Like, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to dress up like Hot Dog Man, yet that guy was making minimum wage. And I was just, I was impacted by the different kinds of work there are in the world and the different ways that, that we, we recognize them. I'm, I'm going to make a false differentiation this morning um, of, of a, two words that are really synonyms. I'm going to talk about hard work and I'm going to talk about difficult work. And just for the next half hour, just treat them as different. Okay, I know they're the same, but just treat them as different. When I say hard work, I'm, I'm saying that some people are hard workers. They do work that is rigorous, work that takes a lot of effort, that is the sweat off your brow kind of work. I'm thinking that someone who digs a ditch, he does hard work. I'm thinking someone who hangs drywall, that person does hard work. I'm thinking... And listen, I'm not saying this. I'm saying this in a positive way, right? There is nothing wrong with hard work. This is my point. I'm saying a stay-at-home mom does hard work. It's the work, it's mundane work that gets no credit that people typically don't want to do. That's hard work. And then there is difficult work. And difficult work is the kind of work that requires an expertise. It's professional work. It's the kind of work that requires a degree or some kind of knowledge. It's, it's the doctor, or lawyer, rocket scientist work. It's the kind of work that, that you can't simply wake up tomorrow and decide that's what you want to do because it requires a degree or a license or some kind of teaching. That is difficult work. And in this world, there's difficult work and there's hard work probably 90% hard work and 10% difficult work. And it shows up in every venue. In your house, there's hard work and there's difficult work. Whenever I'm doing a project in my home, laying tile, working, on, working in the workshop, and I, in, I enroll my children, they're going to do the hard work and I'm going to do the difficult work. They're the ones that, cool, can I cut that? The answer is no, you cannot cut that. Or can I paint that? No. I mean, you try to... You know how it is, parents. You try to find a place that no one's going to look so they can paint. <laughs> You'll get there. The, it's, there's, there is, there's hard work. And in, in other words, when you're the child, and I was this child, I was the son who dumped water and held tools and, and carried wood. At some point, that's all you are qualified to do while you're apprenticing to do difficult work. What about in the church? Hard work or difficult work? 
What about in planting a church? Hard work or difficult work? In this church, there are people who do difficult work. Right? We hire staff to do difficult work. But by and large, the overwhelming amount of work that's done in our church is hard work, not difficult work. I'm saying the hard work of the faith. This is the hard work of the faith, believing what Jesus said about himself and about you in such a way that you live like you believe it. I'm saying the hard work of the faith is being confessional, asking for forgiveness, not holding a grudge, not being a gossip, being an encouragement, being willing to sacrifice, to give, and then to give again, not asking in return. That's the hard work of the church. That is the, that is the work upon which really the church is built. It's hard work. There are, there's difficult work that's happening here and there. There's certainly, it's important to have difficult work. In fact, in this church of hard work, it has raised up difficult workers. How many ministers has this church raised up? to do difficult work. So it comes out, but by and large, the church is built on hard work. And I want us to have that in mind as we turn to Scripture and see what the Lord says about this planting church. Will you pray with me as, before we open the Word? Lord, I pray you bless your Word. We recognize it as true Scripture. Father, we know that you call us to set aside a day to open your word and, and to worship you as a congregation. And so we're doing that this morning, Lord, and we pray you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 11? It's page 765 if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you. Acts 11. We're going to pick up in the 19th verse. The 19th verse starts of Acts 11 starts like the fourth verse of Acts 8. Acts 8 4 says, Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Acts 11 19 says, Now those who were scattered. And in between those two bookends, is a series of significant events that help to define what happened when the church was scattered. So in Acts 8.4, those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went, as immediately followed by a teaching about, hey, here's what Philip did. He went to Samaria, he preached the word, the place exploded. Then the Lord teleported him in some mysterious way to Ethiopia, and he preached the word that the man was baptized in belief. After that, it turns and tells us of another significant event, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. That's an account in Acts 9 and 10. And then you hear of the inclusion of the Gentiles. That's what's happening in Acts 10 and 11, of Peter going to Cornelius' house and preaching the gospel to a Gentile community. Acts 8 says those who were scattered, and then we get these three kind of tangent stories that connect to that. They're stories that are not the central part of the story, but they're going to mean something later. And in Acts eleven nineteen, it's as though the Bible's picking up where it left off in Acts 8, 4. So it's kind of getting back to the story is how Acts eleven nineteen should feel. Like now, back to the, the story about the scattered. And this is what we read. I'm going to read uh, through 21. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message only to Jews. 
Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, before we go very much farther, I want to talk a little bit about Antioch. Antioch was not just some city. And us, you know, when we hear these ancient names like Cyrene and Antioch, we just assume it was like a village. It was not a village. It was a huge city. It was huge. It was, at the time, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Rome, Alexandria, Antioch. So it was a big city. And it was known for having all the kind of possessing the big city-ness that you're familiar with. It was very New York. It was progressive. It was very morally lax. It was uh, fixated on different lifestyles and celebrative of that sort of thing. It was uh, a big fan of that. It was proud. It It was industrious. It was that kind of city. And it's in that kind of city that a church is planted that becomes the epicenter of the first century church. By Acts 11, the church in Jerusalem is now waning in significance. It's drifting into the side of the story, and the church of Antioch becomes the church for the first hundred years that has the most impact. It's from Antioch that Paul's missionary journeys were sent. It's in Antioch that the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians. Do you realize that we bear the name of the church of Antioch? That's how significant they were in this early movement of the first century. There was a prophecy that there would be a great famine in the land. And it was the church of Antioch that raised the money and food to supply and preserve the church in Jerusalem when it was suffering. It was a big church. That's the kind of church we're talking about here. It wasn't, it wasn't a small town with a couple of families. It became a vibrant, influential church in the age. And the question I want to ask this morning is how did it get that way? How did it go from Christians being scattered out of Jerusalem to establishing the most significant church, I think, in the first century? That's what I want us to look at. And the way I want us to look at that is I want us to start on Acts 11.21 and I want us to go backwards. So we see there that there were those who believed the Lord and they turned I want us to figure out, well, how did that happen? So if you just go a little bit farther back, you'll see the first thing that happened. And I'm going to include two of them in this idea. The first thing we see in the text is that it says that the Lord was with them. That's saying the Holy Spirit was involved. And it says that they preached the word of the Lord. They preached the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Those two things. That is, if you're wondering, how did this church succeed? It's those two things. The Holy Spirit was at work and the gospel was preached. And we've talked about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. We, we, we preached on it, so I won't spend a lot of time dealing with, with the role of the Holy Spirit this morning with regards to the church. But I will say this, and, and I will say various points throughout this message, I'm going to speak over all of your heads to the 30 adults and their families going. So it's for everybody's ears, but it is specifically for you to hear. Okay? As I've thought to myself, what, what does the Lord want to say uh, what do I want to say? What do I believe the word has been teaching that hasn't been said? This is, this is what I would say. With regards to the Spirit, I would say this. The Holy Spirit works 
in the life of the church typically in two ways. It works when you, do, you cannot do it. So the Holy Spirit shows up to do what you cannot do. Or the Holy Spirit shows up to do that which you, which you don't know to do. So there's things that you, you, you ought to do, but you're not doing because you don't know you ought to do them. And the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf in that regard. And there's things that in order for God's kingdom to be made manifest on earth, God has to do because we're not able to do them. An example, what would, what would, what would the Holy Spirit do that we wouldn't know to do? Sometimes the Holy Spirit brings a family to the church that needs to hear the word of God that day that you did not know to invite. That's the Holy Spirit at work. It's saying you didn't know to invite that person. Likewise, what would the Holy Spirit do that you can't do? The Holy Spirit has given the church the gift of tongues at times to speak the gospel in a language in which they don't know so that they, people can hear it in their native tongue. That's the Holy Spirit working to do that which you cannot do. And so to those of you going downtown, it is right to plan. It is right to think about what you can do, but it is sinful to limit what you do to what you can do and what you know to do. You ought to listen to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will likewise ask you to do things that you in your own power cannot do and that you do not understand the ends of why you're doing them because the Holy Spirit is at work. If we go downtown or if in any effort that our church does, if we simply limit it to exactly what we can do, we are essentially saying to the Lord, we do not require the Holy Spirit for this activity, which is not what we want to do. And here you see in the church of Antioch, the Lord was with them, and it says the church greatly multiplied. And likewise, if you look, so the Holy Spirit, the Lord was with them, and it says, and they preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I, I, I want to I, I stop here again. They go to a new town, a new setting, a new place with new people, a new culture. And what do they do? They tell the same old story. And I, I want to say this is something that I think Pastor Terry and I have experienced and we've gone around in circles on and we've, we've seen examples and then returned. When you're going to a new context, when you're going to a new people, you will be tempted to be very mindful of their setting and the place and their context and their dialect and their culture and their mindset. And all of that's good, but I will say bowing to context so much can become, it can become a demon in the life of the church. And what I mean to say is, is if we invest all of our attention on context, all of our attention on look how different this group is, we will be prone to a falsehood. And this is the falsehood. When you say that it's a different place and it's a different people and it's a different mindset and it's a different culture and if it's a different setting, you will be inclined to think that they have different heart issues and they don't. And when you think it's a different place and a different culture and a different mindset, you're going to be inclined again to think that there's a different spiritual need in their lives and there isn't. And when you think of all the differences in their context, you will, if you're not careful, be inclined to think they're in need of a different story. And they are not in need of a different story. The same old story is not old news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is just as relevant today as it was in the time of Christ. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. That is the truth. And I would say, I would encourage, 
the 30 adults going in your families, do not exhaust your spiritual energy on context. Get about in the right place and then be Christian. It's the gospel and the spirit that makes the church grow. That's the first thing. How did this church grow? It grew with the gospel and it grew with the spirit. What else do we see? If we say, well, well, how did the church grow? Let's just ask, to whom did it grow? Back up another verse. We say that it, the church grew through Gentiles. You, did I fall out? No, I'm back in. The church grew through Gentiles, which to us is no big deal. Everybody, most people here are Gentiles. I'd say most of us here are Gentiles. But back then, you can see actually earlier in the story, it said they went from to Cyprus and Cyrene and Antioch preaching only to Jews. But it says, but some of them went to Antioch to preach to Gentiles. Also is what it says. So for us, it's no big news. I will say for these men who did it, it was big news. They were crossing lines. They were doing things that hadn't been done before. They were reaching people that they had not reached before. They were speaking in a different language, a different cultural language. They were reaching out in a different way. And this is what I would say to the 30 of you over the heads of the 350 of us. Listen, it's okay to have a target group. Okay, our target group down at 239 North Market is urban professional. The Art Loop crowd, the Dell Tech crowd, our business neighbors on Market Street, it's good and it's right to have a target group. That's what we want to have. That helps us plan. It helps us not try to be everything to every people all the time. We want to be something to someone some of the time, and that helps us. But this is what I would say. Be careful that your target group is not simply the people you want to reach. Because the young professionals are like us. I want to say foster a habit and a spirit of giving the gospel away very freely. That's what I want to say. I want you to cast seed all over the place. That's all of us should do this. We should cast the seed of the gospel freely out so that some might hear. Can you imagine how surprising it might have been when these Gentiles came to the Lord and responded and turned? That's what we should be. This, the growth in this church came from an unlikely place, not a likely place. It's right to have a target group, but don't narrow your target group to the people you want to reach because God may have someone else in mind. Be free with the good news. Let's go back one more step here. So if we know that the way that God made this church grow and blossom is by the Lord being on the effort and by the proclamation of the gospel, and if we know that that happened not simply to Jews but to Gentiles because the people who went and proclaimed Jesus Christ were responding to where the, where the seeds took root and planted, and they were responding to that. If they were, they were freely sharing the gospel, if that's their hope, then I would say, well, then who did this? Who did this awesome work? Who was it who planted? What was the apostle who planted the church of Antioch? Who is it? What was his name? This sounds to me like difficult work, not hard work. You know what it says? Verse 20. Some of them, however. Who's some of them? Some of, who, some of the apostles, is that who it is? If you back up a little earlier, it says, now those who were scattered. So some of those who scattered, did the apostles scatter? No, the apostles did not scatter. In Acts chapter 8, it says, those who scattered preached the word wherever they went. Everybody left Jerusalem except the apostles, it says. 
So we know that this is anyone but the apostles. And we would expect the, Lord, the Bible to tell us the name of the person. They told us the name of Philip. They told us the name of Stephen. What, did they just decide to stop telling us names? Even though they're about to tell us the name of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Titus. Some of them, it says. Some people planted this church. I'm saying I think regular Christian families planted this church is what I'm saying. I'm saying regular Christian folk planted the church in Antioch. Because I believe that planting a church is hard work. It's not difficult work. In fact, I'm convinced of it. Look, let me read the remaining uh, section here. I'm going to read 22 through 26. Now, just listen. Now, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Ha! Why did they send Barnabas? Find out what's going on. Watch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them, and, to re- <clears throat> and all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So what's happening is in the city of Jerusalem, in the church of Jerusalem, where there's all the apostles and all the elders, word gets to them that there's some big thing happening in Antioch. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying this is a sin issue. I'm saying they're surprised that anything big is happening without them. But I'm saying, I imagine Peter, James, and John are looking at each other going, we didn't get that memo. Like, I don't mean in a bad way. I'm saying in a, well, how did that happen? Like, so far, all of the greatness of the kingdom is happening through the apostles or through the deacons like Philip. But here, some people, some nameless people have decided to just start preaching the gospel to Gentiles in Antioch, and the place is blowing up. And in this seedy, progressive city, the church of Jesus Christ is exploding. And they want to know, well, how is this happening? And they send one of their trusted agents, Barnabas, to go check in on it and make sure it's legit. Make sure it's not a false gospel. Make sure that the word is, is, is good. And what, what does Barnabas see? Barnabas goes, he says, well, crying out loud. This is great. And he stays and he teaches. You see, Barnabas is doing the difficult work. But the church was doing hard work. In fact, Barnabas goes... You can tell that the church was doing the hard work because when Barnabas shows up, he sees all of this goodness happening. And you know what he does? He teaches and then he says, you know what, there's a greater need. And he goes to Tarsus. He says, Saul, you got to come down and help me teach. And Paul comes down to Antioch and begins to teach. You see what happened? The church in Antioch was planted by families who were good at the hard work. They knew the gospel. They loved God and they loved others. They lived out the gospel in a real and honest way. And that is what made the church in Antioch grow. And when God saw that, he brought workers to do the difficult work. I'm saying that the church of Jesus Christ is built on hard work, not difficult work. So to the 30 of you going without a campus pastor yet, I'm saying it's quite natural that if you proclaim the gospel and if the Lord is with you, 
that the church will grow. It is, a not, it is not a need of great difficult work. And you, you have Barnabas, by the way. You got Terry going with you to encourage you along the way in the meantime, right? You got a Barnabas. So go and be, I want you to be full of confidence that God has given you the gifts to plant a full and vibrant growing church now. You don't need to wait for someone to do the difficult work. The church is built on hard work. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And then we're going to enter into a time where we receive these families up and we pray over them as a church and individually. And I just, as I go into the prayer, I just want to encourage you, those of you going, to arise and go down and do church. This is church. It's people worshiping Christ and telling others about who he is. That's church. It's people living out the faith in a new place. It is hard work, but it's not difficult work. Go and do the difficult work of Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we begin in this prayer by thanking you for this very church, 505 Schoolhouse Road, from in which you have been so active for these 30 years, Lord. I think of uh, all of the families that have come and gone. I think of the missionaries that have been sent out of this church. Father, I think of the pastors that have been raised up in this church. Lord, I think of the lives that were changed and the families have, have migrated through the walls of our church and back out again to different states and different other churches, Lord, to be a light in those settings, Lord. And, and so we thank you that you didn't start with nothing, Lord, that you've been working in us here. And that this church plant is the fruit of this, this vine, Lord. And we, 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 we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray, I pray now over these families, these 30-some-odd adults and their children, Lord, I pray that they would arise and they would go down and they would take cross, Christ down just like they're taking this cross down, Lord. And they, they would proclaim the good news in a new place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.